All right. So here I am at drive, and this is happening again. All these people, paid people, out of town, are again coming here, yelling at us, hiding their faces. I um, discovered there was about 20 people with all these anti-CCP signs and making derogatory remarks, and uh, they were very hostile. So I wake up in the morning. Sometimes, like they would be at there at like 11 o'clock, and then they would leave at like like three or four o'clock. So they were there for a while. So I started asking each of them, "Are you from this town? Are you from this town? Where are you from? What's your name? Where are you from? What's your name?" Where are you from? What's your name? What's your name? Where are you from? Are you from West Windsor? Are you from this neighborhood? No. This quiet neighborhood. This totally quiet neighborhood. Next left, yeah. Okay. All right, Anna. We are here. All right, we're here at the house. Um, let's try our best to describe it. All right, so it has red shutters, some beige paneling, I guess. And I think that's a brick roof. Yeah, it has a few trees on the lawn with some flowers, some pretty spring flowers. I guess those are kind of new. It's a really pretty house. The yard is actually really big. There's a lot of trees. It is, yeah. The house we're next to is in a small residential neighborhood in West Windsor, New Jersey. It's quiet. It looks very um, isolated, just very like a quiet little street that they paved a road through. Well, it is It is the last street in the neighborhood. It is, yeah. On December 1st of 2020, a white van pulled into the street in front of the house. Over a dozen protesters, holding signs and covering their faces, poured out into the sidewalk in front of the home. I don't know. So I guess, I guess like that right up there, 50 yards away from us, is where the protesters would line up each day. Yeah, they'd line up right on that sidewalk right there, mm-hmm. right in front of his house. Imagine being in that window, that top right window, and looking down. Well, and imagine being in that house right across the street. Like, imagine being any of these neighbors. It's a change of pace, too, because, like, what, there's one person right down there? I haven't seen anybody else, you raking know? Raking the leaves. He's just raking the leaves. So the protesters arrived in this quiet neighborhood. They shouted obscenities in Chinese and proclaimed that the man inside the house was a spy working for the Chinese Communist Party. Members from the community witnessed the protests, and some got involved. Reverend Eric Cussman, a local preacher just outside of West Windsor, was one of them. He explained the effect that he saw on the family inside the house. The worst one was when his daughter came off the school bus doing the hybrid school and they would shout obscenities at her. And uh, and the clergy and I had to form a line between her getting back into her house and them. Mr. Alok Sharma, who you may remember from before. Good morning, ma'am. Are you from this town? No, you won't show me your face. Yeah, that guy. He showed up often, live streaming the events to Facebook, which is where that audio was taken from. He described some of the language he heard from the protesters. The nastiest and the nastiest, like, you know, you, I mean, uh, you know, you, you think uh, Americans know how to curse, uh, like uh, American curse words are nothing in front of that, those things. Okay, it was much worse. They call, you know, his mother nasty things. They call, you know, his, the females in the family nasty things. They say nasty things to him, but not in English. That's Lisa, a member of a neighboring community who also got involved. Besides verbal harassment, there were a few times when the protests bordered on physical. 
Mr. Sharma arrived during the first week of the protests and started confronting the protesters. He asked them who they were, where they were from, and what their purpose was. But then things got tense. Then they got irritated. They surrounded me and they uh, hit me with their uh, those um, handbells. They hit you? Uh, yeah. Why? Why? What are you doing? You, you can, you, sir, you are too close to me. You are too close to me. So the protesters began to surround Mr. Sharma. One after another, they formed a circle around him, holding their signs. Okay, another guy comes right in front of me. Another guy comes, okay. They are trying to surround me. They are trying to surround me from all over the place. Then one guy takes his sign and hits him. They are hitting me. They are hitting me with this. Uh, uh, they, 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 look, I can't move anywhere. They have completely blocked my way. I can't even walk on the roads of Westminster anymore. But things didn't get too out of hand. The protesters surrounding Mr. Sharma quickly dispersed. Reverend Cussman experienced a similar tension, although it didn't amount to anything. They were on the sidewalk. They were hostile. They oh, they tried to egg me on to fight, which was very entertaining. But here's the thing. They didn't just do this one day. They showed up every day for several weeks, arriving around 10.30 in the morning and leaving at 4 in the afternoon. And their schedule was like clockwork. They had a very distinct lunch break. Um, like every like single day on the dot, they would all just get in their cars and just leave, you know? That's Fifi, a neighbor down the street from the protested house. And they're also so good at not breaking the law. They were very good about like never stepping onto property lines, never staying long enough for it to be called loitering. Their strangely consistent schedule caused many members of the community to speculate that the protesters were here because of more than just their beliefs. Like it was very obvious from the beginning that they were being paid and this was like a organized, organized, structured thing. It was never, that was never like a question. They would come in rental cars every day and they would park the rental cars somewhere else and then take other cars to his house. So that's, you know, that adds up. And to do that on a daily basis, and you know, when you rent a car, you know, if you're gonna do it by the hour or by the day, that's a lot of money. Five days a week, six days a week. I would have to assume that none of them are independently wealthy enough, though some of them have really nice clothing. I was like, ooh. <laughs> so why did the protesters show up? To understand that, we first need to understand the man inside the house. Um, my first name is Biao, uh, last name is Tang, so you can call me Tang Biao. Mr. Tang is a lawyer and activist fighting for human rights in China. Mainly, he speaks out against the Chinese Communist Party, or CCP, due to what he deems as human rights violations. It's a um, totalitarian system. That means the Communist Party actually uh, controls everything. He was arrested, kidnapped, and tortured by the Chinese secret police as a result of his work. In 2014, he and his family moved to the United States before finally settling in West Windsor, New Jersey, in the summer of 2015. We, I think it's lucky, and we choose here. It's very uh, a nice, uh, uh, you know, safe township, and uh, it's good school district, and we have very uh, good neighbor, very supportive to us, and, you know. So, yeah, I love here. That's Lin, Biao's wife. After just over five years of living in this town, she felt at home here. And so on December 1st, when the first protesters rolled in, she was surprised. We, we didn't expect them. We didn't, we didn't think they, they will come here. 
Yeah, but they really stay here. I think、um, more than a month. Yeah, quite a long time. So why are they here, and who sent them? When the protesters arrived, they came with signs proclaiming that Mr. Tang was a spy working for the CCP, and that he brought COVID-19 to the United States, among other accusations. These protesters were reportedly sent by a Chinese billionaire by the name of Goengui. Those people、um, are are true believers of、uh, Goengui.、Uh, they have been totally brainwashed by him. So when Goengui、uh, told them I must buy. And and they believe that the situation's a bit more complicated. Stick with me here. The Tangs allege that Gongwei has established a fraudulent scheme in which his supporters invested in. Then he turned to dissidents like Mr. Tang, claiming that they were at fault for a lack of return investment. They believe、uh, my criticism、um, made them made their. Uh, investment uh, uh, failure. And so, Gongwei allegedly told his supporters that they could get the money they invested back by protesting Mr. Tang. The FBI and FTC are still investigating such allegations, although Gongwei has denied them. There's a certain irony in this situation. Tang Biao is a human rights lawyer in direct opposition to the Chinese Communist Party. And yet, he's being accused of supporting the very same thing he worked against his entire life. So、um, it's uh, it's uh, ridiculous to accuse me of、uh, CCP spy. I was persecuted by the Chinese Communist Party, and after、um, moving to the states, I continue my work, and I wrote a lot of articles、uh, critical of、um, the Chinese government. So. This whole situation is really confusing. There's a lot of speculation and a lot of finger pointing. On top of that, many members of the West Windsor community were unaware of the full backstory. I went there a、um, couple of times. That's Miss Sonia Garwas, a councilwoman for West Windsor. Because I did get、um, some calls from some of the other neighbors who live in that neighborhood.、Um, You know, they were just concerned about who these people are, what they are doing. And not knowing who these people are definitely、um, created a little more、um, concern. I think at first, when it was just a few protesters, it generated a good amount of confusion. We didn't know exactly what was going on. Some of the signs were,、um, on the face of them, completely ridiculous. They had his picture and said he had invented coronavirus. He's lived there for seven or eight years. I know that's not true,、um, but.、Uh, You know some of the other things, political things. He's a spy or not a spy? I, I don't follow、uh, Chinese dissident politics close enough to know exactly what was going on. I did a little research since then, but I still, to be honest with you, find the whole situation confusing more than anything else. That's Anthony, Fifi's dad. Beyond confusion, there were many people in West Windsor who didn't even know that the protests were happening. We spoke to many students in the West Windsor high schools, and few had even heard of what was going on. A major reason for this was a surprising lack of news coverage. In in the local news, I don't think there was nearly enough, and it was very, very, very disappointing. You would think, you know, even as well as a, as a local story. You would think the fact that these people are protesting in this quiet residential neighborhood, this man who's a human rights activist, you know, and lawyer,、um, you would think that would be 
really great news to do almost on a continual basis, even if it's just a line or two as update, you know? I know as as dear reader, I would certainly be wanting those updates. A quick Google search for Tang Biao protests produces only a few stories, the main one being from a local paper called The Planet Princeton. It was this article that provided some context for those who managed to find it. Note, Lisa refers to the news organization as the Princeton Patch, but is actually referencing the Planet Princeton. Initially, there was one Princeton Patch article. Do you read the Princeton Patch? So if it's not part of your social media feed, or you happen to not look at it at that one time slot where it would be on your feed, like let's say you know they posted at 2 p.m., but you're not getting on your feed till 7 p.m., are you going to see it? No. So, this limited news coverage and the complicated Chinese politics it discussed left many in the community unable to understand the situation. If I understood the point, I might have more or less of a um, more or less desire to act or not act on it. But I don't know. I'm confused, frankly. The location of the protests also played a major role in this lack of awareness. See, a lot of people won't even know. I mean, if if you are not on that street or not driving through that street, you won't even know, right? Because they are standing in front of that person's house. I mean, same people if they were doing it in front of McCaffrey's or like... That's a popular grocery store in West Windsor. A lot more people are if they were standing at the uh, intersection of uh, 571 and uh, Clarksville Road. And that's a busy intersection in town. Then a lot of people, like every passerby will see now here, you are standing in front of that house. So (laughs) nobody even knows unless somebody posts on the uh, Facebook, right? It's an enclosed neighborhood, right? There's one there's one street that leads into it from, you know, the main or more main street, right? So unless you're visiting somebody in that neighborhood, you're not going to see it. Given the nature of our, our development, I mean, you, you drove in today, you don't ever have to go up and down that block. If you drive up and down North Post, if you go to any block in this neighborhood except for jail, you don't have to be on jail. And so I think a lot of people in the neighborhood might have even been unaware until after it started to get more attention from counter-protesters. More on those counter-protests coming up in a moment. Here's what we know so far. We can speculate that the protesters were paid, and we know that they came to the neighborhood for a total of 37 days. So within those 37 days, What happened? Perhaps the most visible effect was the formation of counter-protests by the West Windsor community. I'll I'll leave it like this. Uh, My daughter uh, attends high school south with uh, Bao's daughter. And my daughter comes running up the stairs from where she has the computer at. And she's like, "Uh, my friend's dad is being threatened outside of his house. After arriving on the scene, Reverend Cussman organized a number of religious leaders together in an effort to counter the protests. I've uh, contacted my denomination. I had clergy, imams, uh, rabbis, and uh, many Christian pastors outside for days. What what moved me to show up at the house and contact you know people? What can I do? Because I don't know them. I don't live in West Windsor. I live in South Brunswick. And I read about it, and I think it was a Princeton Patch article that they did, and was so incensed with the injustice that here's a man who's devoted his life to helping others. And this is 
what happens to him. My view on it was, you know, as a, as a neighbor, my job was to, you know, support a neighbor. So a somewhat informal group of counter-protesters formed, with various members of the community stopping by the house on a given day. They would stand on the Tang's lawn, bundled in winter clothing, positioning themselves between the Tang's home and the line of protesters. And although they didn't directly make the protesters go away, they did help manage the situation in a number of ways. By early January, the protesters left. They only returned a couple times throughout February, and as of September 2021, they haven't been back since. And so, in the seeming aftermath of all this, one question sticks out like a sore thumb. In retrospect, can West Windsor as a community say that they did a good job in dealing with the protests? And that's a tough question to answer. There are a number of ways to look at it. It can be tempting to say no, the counter-protests weren't effective. After all, the protesters left on their own accord. No amount of counter-protest could have made them go away. Right? Only legal action can make them go away. Only if you come up with an order, rest, uh, restraining order, only that they can make them go away. They, they didn't, don't care about like, this counter-protest at all. Although the counter-protests may have looked to have been a failure, Mr. Alok Sharma disagreed with that viewpoint, emphasizing that there's more than one way to deem the counter-protests successful. The counter-protest is not for them to go away. So did the, did the, did the counter-protests make the protesters go away? No. Did the counter-protest make the protesters' aim of scaring the family fail? Yes. So did the counter-protest success? Yes. From the Tangs themselves, a similar sentiment was shared. We got a lot of support. This is the, the, yeah, make me feel so, so good living here, right? We've, I felt really strong, you know, like we're fighting against people and like people from the community also came over. The protesters would also live stream to a Chinese website every day, displaying what they were doing and, as some have speculated, trying to gather more supporters. Mr. Sharma explained why the counter-protests were also effective in quashing that aspect. So when you are showing this live streaming thing on your camera or whatever, at the same time your TV guys are seeing that, like, you know, there are other people standing on the lawn there. So, so I mean, basically both the, both the objectives of the protesters, right, they, they were defeated. According to Mr. Sharma, the counter-protests were effective if looked at beyond the service level, and so the response of the community appears beneficial. Yet, the counter-protests received their share of criticisms as well. It was mentioned earlier that Facebook played a role in this whole situation. A lot of the awareness was spread through the service, specifically through a community group known as West Windsor Peeps. At the time of the protests, it contained nearly 12,000 members of West Windsor, and a couple of articles and statements regarding the Tang situation were posted. Underneath one such post, the following comments were written. I do have to say, the protesters have only gotten more active as township counter-protesters have come out. I think the earlier suggestion of ignoring them and not giving them an audience is a good one. As a person that lives in the neighborhood, the number of cars, protesters, and counter-protesters now speeding in and out of here is becoming a safety issue. And below that one, many agreed. I still believe in just ignoring them. And another? Yes, they are looking for an audience, and we need to work on not giving that to them. That last comment was written by Miss Sonia Garwas, the councilwoman from earlier. When we spoke with her, she elaborated on her thought process. What I heard was they started with a small group, and when they got attention, um, the number of people grew. It's almost like, okay, I'm getting attention, let me get more people so we can get more attention. I think that was, that was their 
strategy. I think that attention is exactly what they wanted. As I said, it's a very um, isolated kind of block. They weren't getting media attention. They weren't getting anything. But as soon as they got media attention and Facebook attention and local attention, their numbers went up. So whoever was paying them, and that was the rumor that they were being paid by the, the person who has a who was in opposition to our neighbor, um, they must have been getting what they wanted because they increased their numbers, right? And they started filming themselves, and clearly they were getting some satisfaction out of it going that way. So... so- to both Mr. Azera and Ms. Garwas, it seemed that with more attention, the protesters got what they were looking for. In this in this case, um, in my opinion, it fed into um, the protesters because that's what they were looking for. They were looking for people's presence, you know, because uh, every time I went there, I saw they were just standing around. But the moment they saw somebody else, uh, present is when they would gear up. So that's what they were looking for. So in this case, that's what I saw happen. So what's the alternative? Ms. Garwa suggested a more inconspicuous form of support would be more effective. Without directly engaging with the protesters, you support Mr. Tang and his family um, with whatever needs they may have. Um, it could be as simple as I have 10 people standing in front of my house. I cannot get to my mailbox. Can somebody please grab my mailbox? It could be as simple as that. And yet, as the protest continued, that shift from direct engagement with the protesters to more subtle support was exactly what occurred. As we went on, we realized the more attention we were giving them, the more ammunition, it, like the more it revved them up and... and want to do their thing even more. You know what I mean? It didn't help provide peace for the tanks. So we eventually literally would show up, hang out on the lawn and not speak with them. So in effect, this criticism levied against the counter protests was taken into account and adopted, making the protest appear more effective once again. Throughout reporting this story, One concept that kept coming up over and over again was the legality of the whole situation. Looking at the Facebook comments again on the West Windsor Peeps group, some of them ask what can be done, if the protesters are within their rights, why the protesters weren't charged with harassment, and the First Amendment is referenced numerous times. Hi, this is Aisha Hamilton. Hi, we called Miss Aisha Hamilton a local lawyer, to get to the bottom of these questions. Well, okay, so one of the arguments that people, or one of the questions that's been proposed is um, why can't it qualify as harassment um, and and be able to charge the protesters with harassment? Yeah, so let, let's talk about that, right? Um, so, so as a very preliminary matter, um, public entity, government entities have to be careful about not restraining First Amendment rights, which include the First Amendment right to speech and for public assembly, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so so there's, there's that guiding principle that they have to be very cognizant of. Um, since they weren't, since the protesters weren't on private property, um, this now implicates the government's balancing act of First Amendment versus um, being able to sort of maintain the law, right? Maintain law and order. The question of can we restrain 
public assembly, right? Um, now, you know, townships are able to sort of get around that by saying, well, if you're going to have a protest, a peaceful protest, right, you can't have speech that incites violence or a violent gathering, but you can have a peaceful protest and you're required to get a permit to have that peaceful protest. Um, and so if you don't have a permit, then you're not allowed to gather in this fashion. We checked through West Windsor's municipal code and spoke to several members of the town council, and there doesn't appear to be any such permit requirement. Another way to get around this issue of protesting on public property, however, would have been for the town to pass an ordinance banning it. So the question then would be, okay, so you can have a facially neutral ordinance that says, there's, there's a place for protesting and this isn't it. You can't do it on a residential street. It's too disruptive. It may cause safety issues. Um, it, you know, the, the problem then is you're going to have potentially some First Amendment implications. And I wonder if that's why that hasn't happened yet. Councilman Andrew Hirsch, who served on the town council during these events, further explained the issues with passing such an ordinance. The, the difficulty with with such an ordinance is that um it it definitely opens you up to legal challenges and so there would be um significant it would bring the possibility of significant lawsuits against the township one of the tricky points of the ordinance would be how you define protests i don't know if you've seen that there's a lot of neighborhoods that do like neighborhood picnics in the summer So what defines a protest or a an assembly of people is distinguished from a neighborhood picnic, a social event, a block party. And then how do you define a residential neighborhood? Some of our residential neighborhoods also have commercial property. So if you're going down Clarksville Road, on one side of the street, you've got a mall. On the other side of the street, you've got apartments. So how do you differentiate between the two? So that's the problem with lawyers, right, is we have to define everything. (laughs) (laughs) And you've got to make sure that your ordinance is sufficiently clear or it will be deemed by a court to be facially invalid. If you've gone to the point of a judge making a decision that an ordinance is facially invalid, that means you've cost the township legal fees. There certainly is ordinances out there in other states, um, one or two that have been successfully defended. Uh, But in each case, there was a lot of (laughs) there was suits and countersuits and, you know, and appeals and um, and the sort that went with it. So um, that's something that the township would have to consider um, as we go. Look, if, if this did happen in our community, if there's a if there's a way we can provide assurances to you know a, a segment of our community that that feels at risk, um, I'm for it. But I do understand that you know others may take a more nuanced view of the cost benefit of, of passing such an ordinance. So it's a balance. The township could theoretically pass an ordinance banning protests at residential homes, but that would put the township in a tricky legal situation, possibly costing them a lot in legal fees. Without an ordinance or permitting process restricting the protesters, the First Amendment seemingly protected them. I will tell you that um, these protests are designed in in such a way because I'm sure a group of lawyers got together in a room hired by this billionaire to figure out what is the, the what is the way to do this without being able being stopped, 
right? So stay on public land. Basically, don't do anything that incites violence or intrudes on Mr. Tang's property. So up until this point in the interview, the protests seem like a lost cause. Legally, the protesters appear to be within their rights, and the hands of law are tied. That is, until a revelation occurs. Free speech does not involve any speech that incites violence or obscenity. So if they had stood out in front of his house, even on public property, and screamed um, profane words, obscene words, um, they would have been stopped. There is no free speech protection for that. Or if they had stood out there and said, we all need to storm his house and kill him, (laughs) that would not have been protected speech. What about, um, because they were saying profane things but in Chinese does th- like how does that work <laughs> <laughs> interesting um, so had somebody in that moment notified the police with a recording that said this is what that means and it's it's translation translates to the F word and you know um, yeah I think I-, I would have said to them you've arguably got a good basis to shut this down that's so interesting. Because apparently that's all they did. Like, apparently everyone we've talked to said w- said over and over that they were just saying, like, the most profane things that even the English language can't translate all of them because they were so profane. But then when they would switch to English, though, and, like, say really mellow things in English, but then what they were saying in Chinese was just d- disgusting, you know? That would have been the prime opportunity for someone to record to send that file to the police department and say, this is what the translation means. Now, the police department would have to verify, Mm -hmm. right? You trust but verify. Mm -hmm. And then they would be able to, and I think they would be justified in coming out and shutting it down because there is no free speech protection for profanity. This was stunning to hear. Could such a seemingly clear solution have been overlooked by the West Windsor Township and authorities? It seems hard to believe. We spoke to one person who might have the answer, the mayor of the town, Mr. Hemant Marate, and we asked him if the town tried to charge the protesters with a First Amendment violation. See, it's unfortunate that the First Amendment is not a township-wide issue, so I could not have taken them to court for uh, violating somebody's First Amendment right. This was not the answer we anticipated. Why wasn't the First Amendment a township-wide issue? We called Ms. Hamilton back and asked her what she thought that meant. When he says it's not a township-wide law, um, I think what he means is um, it's not the township's responsibility to enforce the First Amendment. Um, I think that is a very narrow view of what township's responsibilities are, um, because every governmental entity, which the township of West Windsor is, has an obligation to enforce and uphold the First Amendment. But because this was a dispute between private individuals, between Mr. Tang and the protesters, that complicates matters. Yeah. And so if there aren't, and I don't know if there are or not, township ordinances that would address um, obscene speech on township property, then 
then yeah, he's right. There's sort of nothing that the township can do about it, quote unquote, right? We checked through the West Windsor ordinances and the closest thing is a standard that prohibits obscene content on community landmark signs. Nothing about obscene speech on township property. So if the township couldn't do anything, who could? Before you said that um, the First Amendment issues weren't uh, like the issues of the town, um, that wasn't something you guys could take care of. Um, who would have been able to charge that? Or, or... See, to be uh, very frank, I mean, the county knew about what was going on. The state knew about what was going on. We had we had talked to the county and the state. The state uh, uh, governor's office knew what was going on. So. If any con- anything on that front would have been done, would have been done. And again, uh, I just don't want to give out all the things that uh, uh, happened behind the scenes. Simply, if, if God forbid something like this happens yeah. again. All this is to say, the West Windsor Township was at work behind the scenes. It was unfamiliar territory for the local government. This is first time that anything like this I have seen and first time that our chief has seen experience something like this in our town. So the township worked closely with state and county experts. It's unclear exactly what they did behind the scenes, but according to the mayor, anything that could have been done would have been taken into account. What we do know is that the West Windsor police did manage to charge the protesters on a couple occasions. And that leads us to the snowman. So it was snowing, right? They were building a snowman that had my dad's face on it. They like made it look like him, like right by my mailbox. Yeah, they built a snowman on his property and put a Chinese character on it that is like, it was foul. Our neighbor, that other neighbor, he took down the snowman for us because um, we went to this other house, like they were, People like my dad's followers were giving us like, oh, like, do you want to come here? The Tangs are offered by friends to stay elsewhere. So during the holidays, they leave their house. And we didn't really want like our supporters to come over during the holidays. So we left and um, they still came here and they built a snowman. And I happened to stop by there that day. And so I saw the snowman. I think, I don't know if I still have them, but I had pictures of the snowman that I sent him that he gave to the police. Um, with the Chinese character, and that was illegal. Not because of the nasty slur on it, but because um, it was on his property. You have no rights, First Amendment or otherwise, on my private property. So the, the constitutional rights apply to restraint by a government authority and on public land, but you do not have rights on my private property. So once you're on private property, you don't have a right to be there. And so, while the things are out of the house, the neighbors see the snowman. And then the neighbors complained, and then the cops came, and then the cop, because I had uh, a number, so the cop called me. And then I, I had the um, uh, cops talk to uh, Tengbiao. Because the cops wanted him to know, are you feeling harassed when they are doing this? Like, so all he had to say is yes, so that the cops can move. Because the cops need some 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 charge, right? Some some basically complaint, like you know, from the homeowner's mouth that yes, like you know, you can proceed. So Mr. Tang gives the okay, and shortly after, a couple of the protesters are arrested. On December 22nd, Mr. Tang tweeted out, "Quote." Police just handcuffed two protesters and put them into a police car and took seven people's ID info. Building a snowman on someone's driveway and writing abusive words on it constituted formal harassment, end quote. 
So, although the legal situation was complex and restrictive, there was some success in quelling the protesters. So here's where we stand in judging West Windsor's response to the protests. The counter-protests were seen by many as effective as they provided security and support to the family. And legally, community officials claimed to have done the best they could. So the response appears beneficial. However, there is another side to that judgment, and it has to do with the amount of support. Reverend Cussman explained his view. Well, ironically, it seemed, you know, there's a couple neighbors that came out and they were very appalled by what was going on. But it seems like a lot of the community in West Windsor decided to not say anything and just stay in their houses and not get involved. And there might have been like 15 to 20 of us versus the 25 to 30 of them, which was interesting. In Reverend Cusman's view, the response of the community wasn't as strong as it could have been. Even on days when the most counter-protesters came out, the protesters still outnumbered the number of community supporters. You know, that crosses the line when you go into residential neighborhoods. And I was just a little shocked that the community didn't step up more like this can't happen in our town. You know, uh, and speaking of West Windsor, it's a loving community. Uh, Everybody's supposed, you know, from what I've seen with my own kids being raised here, it's Everybody looks out for their people, you know, Uh, and for that type of harassment to be able to happen with it without it being checked. You know, I don't know. That didn't resonate well with me. So do you think people didn't get involved because they didn't know enough or because they didn't care or? No, I think they didn't care, you know, because, again, if we go for the individualism to the community aspect, a lot of people says that, you know, if it doesn't affect them, it doesn't matter. You know, so, you know, and and maybe that's because of the privilege in West Windsor. You know, uh, as I said, I'm a pastor in Trenton. It's a whole different dynamic there. And uh, I don't know, there's a, a more communal feel. And I just think, you know, one of the, you know, goals that West Windsor should strive for is to be more uh, communal in that kind of feel. You know, when you have a family here who has kids going to the school. You know, uh, who's a human rights activist, you know, I don't know. There's something about that that makes you think the community should stand up for that type of individual. Mm -hmm. If something like this had happened in in Trenton, um, how would the response have been different there? Well, if something like this happened in Trenton, uh, there would have been a lot more community involvement. A lot of the neighborhood would have came out, especially if they knew who the person was and their kids went to the school. And uh, they probably wouldn't have shown up past day one. So, <laughs> so, and, and, and I've been in protests in Trenton. You know, we've marched down City Hall. We've done all of that. You know, uh, I don't know. You know, maybe that's the comfort of the suburbs. I, I don't know. So in the eyes of Reverend Cussman, a lot of the people in West Windsor didn't go out and counter protest because they weren't directly affected by the events. There's a balance between community and individualism, and Cussman suggests that there's too much swing towards the latter. Oddly enough, while talking to Miss Hamilton, a similar topic came up. She was elected to the West Windsor Town Council in 2016, serving a four-year term and then leaving. And she agreed with some of the points that Cussman made, describing a possible reason for this individualism. So typically, right, West Windsor residents, if you really think about who they are, sort of um, demographically, these are a lot of people work in New York. They get on a train at 6 a.m., they get home. Um, The parents who are here are 
focused on their kids. And there was, I, I would tell you, there would be big issues in the township. And the most people we ever saw who came to speak out or against or for an issue was probably like 100 people wow. in a town of 27,000, almost 28,000 residents. I, and I don't think that this is just unique to West Windsor. In general, we we don't get involved that much in um, local politics issues. Miss Hamilton then told a story which exemplifies this individuality. So while she was on the town council, there was this big argument about building a sidewalk on this road named Cranberry Road. The township has to get approval from every resident that would have now a sidewalk. Because the township's taking away from the residents' properties. And it never made sense to me why a resident would say, I don't want a sidewalk, right? I mean, I won't buy a house if it doesn't have a sidewalk in front of it. Like, where are my kids going to hang out, right? And yet, one person does object. Oh, no. It was because now I, I'll i need to shovel the snow off of that sidewalk, oh. and I don't have to do that now, so I don't want to do that. So if that means that the rest of the street if they all want the sidewalk and I don't, I don't care. I was horrified by that. <laughs> and the township tries hard to get the sidewalk built. And the township would be willing to, I think, had at that point even discussed compensating this family <laughs> just to, like, get their <laughs> consent to the damn sidewalk. But in the end, no sidewalk. Such represents the individuality that Reverend Cussman described. The family made a decision based on the way it would affect them, as opposed to looking at the community as a whole. Cuspin suggested that West Windsor should try and be more communal, as in his view, there weren't enough members of the community out supporting the Tangs. In response to the people who didn't show up because they didn't want to add fuel to the fire, he reasoned that the benefits for the Tang family were more important. Well, they're under that dumb mindset. Well, oh, you know, if, you know, if nobody comes, they're not going to come back. And I'm like, no, see, you don't understand what's really going on. <laughs> you know, if we don't show up, harm's going to happen. You know, read the cases, and that's the importance. People don't want to read facts. You know, they believe headlines, as I said before. You know, they don't read what's really going on. You know, and then how would them neighbors have felt if, say, the daughter got assaulted coming off the school bus? Those are the things you got to think about. Like, yeah, I couldn't, you know, it, <sighs> that still frustrates me. So to look at what we have here, both Cussman and Hamilton viewed the West Windsor response as limited. The individualism and isolation of many members prompted a weaker response. And yet, Mr. Alok Sharma offered another possible reason for this lack of widespread community support. He explained that there's a threshold of taking action, and then there's a threshold of feeling disgusted about the events. But did everyone cross that threshold of like, you know, feeling disgusted about it? Yes. Did everybody like show up? physically over there? No. And somewhere in the middle of that threshold, between watching from afar and showing up to counter-protest, Reverend Cussman saw people doing what they could. I mean, I, I, mean, I just find it odd that the neighbors um, like, could see that happening and then not come out. You said not many neighbors came out, right? Uh, but, but I'm going to highlight the man that lived across the street. I don't remember his name, but every time them protest, them, uh, the mob came out, he came out with his leaf blower and started blowing his leaves. And I tell you, that man, that man had the cleanest yard in West Windsor. <laughs> but it, it's those little acts, you know, that mean something. You know, he was an older gentleman. 
And, you know, he couldn't do much, but he did what he could. And that's the point, you know, uh, to quote Mother Teresa, it's not the great things that you do. It's the small things that you do with love that affect change. You know, and, and, and that's what I think West Windsor can be. There's one final aspect to this story, and it's something that was really surprising when we first heard it. We kind of at the same time feel like sorry for them that they have to be here. The them Grace refers to are the protesters, the same ones she and her family called harassers. So um, one day, like um, this like old man, he's like my grandpa's age. He came here like with the group, um, like holding signs and stuff like the bad people. He was with the bad people. To Grace, it didn't make sense why he would be there. She wondered why someone his age would stand for hours outside her house each day, especially in the middle of winter. I bet, I think, well, when Gwenny brainwashed them, thinking that, like, like, I'm not giving your money back because, like, just, like, hate on him, like, hate on my dad, okay? And so he was, like, really old. I don't know what he was doing here because everyone else was, like, 40s, 30s. And, yeah, I kind of felt bad for him. Like, he had to stand here in the cold, being old, and for, like, holding signs and stuff was kind of sad to me. We didn't expect this perspective from Grace, but it really called into question all that we have learned thus far. Maybe the motivations of the protesters weren't what they seemed on the outside. Maybe the neighbors had their own reasons for not showing up. Maybe it's more complicated than it appears. All right, so where does that leave us? Some members of the community claim that the counter-protests were effective. Others claim that they only exacerbated the protests. There was a limited amount of news coverage, so overall, many in the community were unaware of what was going on. Legally, the township said their hands were tied, but they did manage to charge and arrest a couple of the protesters. And although there could have been more supporters from the community, those who didn't physically come out still supported the tanks. But to make a judgment concerning the response of the community, perhaps the only opinion that ultimately matters is that of the Tangs themselves. Um, I appreciate the, the, the support from, from local people and activists, and, um, and um, it, I, I, I still feel safe uh, here. Not like uh, it's uh, totally different from from uh, my experience in China. It made me feel happy. I'm like, I can't believe people believe us and don't believe their signs saying that like, oh, he's a spy from China. For the Tangs, one of the most impactful moments came about two weeks into the protests. So he's, he's the mayor of the town. His name is Hemant Marathe. And he has been mayor for three years. He wants to say something. Please, please listen to him. At least, at least listen to him. Yeah, I, I want to thank the pastor, all the neighbors and friends who have come here in support. Uh, it's really gratifying to see the neighbors and the township rally, uh, rally in support of one of us. When the mayor came on December 12th, he gave a speech in front of the protesters, urging them to leave. He praised the community for their support and let the Tangs know that he stood with them. Yeah, the mayor came um, to to support me, and I um, I can't help com- comparing comparing that with um, with uh, the Chinese the situation, you know, in China, um, a, a mayor will 
definitely not do this. The support of local government meant a lot to the Tangs after never experiencing it in China. And coupled with the support of the community, Mr. Tang's relationship with West Windsor changed. So do you feel that um, in some sense it kind of brought you into the community, um, just getting to know people and getting that support? Yeah, yeah. So I I feel, uh, first I feel um, I have a, a good community and I um, I'm, a, I'm a member um, of this community. I feel the, the solidarity. And second, um, I feel I should um, also contribute my uh, my my knowledge my uh, my activism to the to local uh, local affairs um, and I, I should also fight for um, human rights and, and justice in the United States in this country mm-hmm. because because previously um, I, I I didn't um, think about this very much. Uh, all my focus is on the the, the prison human rights violations by the Chinese government. And so Mr. Tang felt a new role in the community after the protests occurred. He finally felt embraced in the quiet town of West Windsor. They, you know, they really felt the love of that small slice of community that came out and said, no, we're not going to have this. Lin Tang said it best, expressing her gratitude. We think after this um, uh, event, um, the connection with our neighborhood, understanding, you know, between the people here, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's better, you know. Uh, yeah, so we will take chance to appreciate. This episode was produced by myself, Christian Gobo. And me, Anna Rubenstein. Scoring provided by Xander Productions. We'd also like to thank everyone in the West Winter community who spoke to us for this story. And finally, as always, special thanks to Mr. A. We'll see you next time. <laughs>